0: They say poker is a hard way to make an easy living. This is the podcast about people that make poker work for them. This is Mid-Stakes Living. Welcome to MidStakes Living, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com. We're back for another awesome episode uh, of the Poker Podcast, focusing on lifestyles and times of uh, multi-table tournament grinders. As always, joined by my host, Matt, the Ginger45Hunt. How are you, buddy?
1: Very well, Derek. Very well. How are you?
0: I'm great, especially because uh, I'm excited about today's guest. It's yeah. going to be a fun one. Absolutely. Come um, good one. Yeah, so if you haven't already read the topic uh, of the podcast... I'll fill you in on who we got today. Very excited. There's probably the guest we've been waiting the longest to get, so we're super stoked about it. Um, over 12 million uh, in online caches, uh, over 4 million in live caches, and a pretty ridiculous 24 triple crowns, which is just crazy. Um, of course, I'm talking about the one and only Chris Mormon. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I know you are a busy guy. In fact, you just got back from a trip to Australia, correct? How did that go for yeah. you? Yeah.
2: Well, I, it was more kind of like a holiday than a poker trip, really. I played, I just played three tournaments, the main event and uh, a couple of side events, like Cash One, just, uh, I think it was a 1600 bounty. It was kind of a weird tournament. It played down to 32 players, and then it turned into 8 max shootout where the top two players from each table went through. It was kind of oh, weird well, format. So
1: like some kind of crazy mixed match format, I guess.
2: Yeah, and then obviously it's very like dependent on your table draw and because it was it was a pretty soft, soft tournament, but my ash shootout table actually had like Joe Chung and another couple of good young online guys, whereas other tables obviously were a lot easier than that. Yeah,
1: it's
2: just kind soft. of a weird format because I had all the chips, but then you know it gets to the stage where you, you know in tournament poker you just have to win one flip <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly, exactly. So how did you find the, the trip to Australia then? Is it nice to take a trip and not, not play so much poker, kind of disconnect a little bit? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, I actually missed that
2: trip to Australia the last couple of years. I've just done PCA instead. Mm-hmm. And this year I decided to skip PCA, which – just because, I don't know, PCA has always been an event where every year I'm like, oh, I'm never really that excited to go. Like, But I always end up going, and I've never really done that well there. So I kind of decided to skip it kind of thing. I just, yeah, all,
1: a I've long. never. Been, I keep. I keep hearing that like uh, the Bahamas and and just the Atlantis in general is kind of a killer on the uh, the expenses account. I guess it's uh, pretty expensive to just stay there for a couple of weeks. I've heard. Uh, yeah, and
2: like even I don't mind paying like a lot of money for stuff or whatever, but I just find the service isn't very good. The weather at that right. time me is kind of temperamental as well, and also you just I don't think there's a lot to do outside the resort kind of thing and stuff uh, like that. Yeah, Sorry, carry no, well, um, obviously when I'm, I was at home and watching the updates and seeing like these big tournaments that I wasn't in, I was a little bit jealous, like watching the <laughs> yeah. stream online and stuff. But yeah, I didn't yeah. miss it too much.
1: Yeah, there's there's that funny kind of jealousy as an MTT player, isn't there? Where you feel like you, you wish you could just play every single tournament that happens everywhere in the world at all times because you, you feel like you're missing value if you're not playing at any given point, you know? Yeah, it's exactly. That... And even if you you know even if your heart's not completely in
2: it. You feel like you know all I have to do is run good, and I could. I'm obviously my heart can be in it when there's 27 left, you know.
1: Yeah, man, that's that's such a it's like I've I've been in that spot so many times. Of like, it's a it's a dangerous spot to get into where you're like, I don't have to play well. I just have to play and run good, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, it gets a bit it's a bit damaging sometimes.
2: Yeah. I mean, at the moment, I'm in L.A. and uh, Toby Lewis is to stay with me. And uh, we were laughing the other night that he still hasn't played his first live tournament of the year. I think his first one's going to be the EPT in Malta in March. So uh-huh. it's just like, you know, like, at the moment, I'm not super excited to play. So I'm just going to take a break rather than sort of turn <clears> up, throw a bunch of money away kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it makes sense to disconnect sometimes. I think one of the, the main things that keeps coming up a lot of the time with most of the guys we speak to on here is... is it tends to be that people have you know people have their own systems for developing kind of a work life balance around poker, you know because if you don't have that it, it gets pretty brutal so so what's your sort of system? How do you sort of disconnect and, and keep the the balance between time in poker and time away well i'm I
2: feel like it's kind of happened naturally now because like my fiance she's American, so we kind of have a house in l a oh and cool yeah, so we're here quite a bit and just moved house and stuff, so obviously that's kind of like real. Real world stuff, but you uh, can, yeah. I can play online at the moment when I'm here. So it kind of gives me a time where I can, you know, have a break and yeah. st- study it, out, you know, study and work on my game a little bit, and then sort of be excited to play again when I do play.
1: So, yeah, that's good. That's a good balance. Like
2: next, I think on Thursday I'm gonna I'm going on a trip to Vancouver and just uh-huh. stay my friend's house for a few days and gonna kind of play like you know four days in a row. And even if even if I'm like having a bad session, there's no way I'm just gonna be you know I'm registering through tilt or whatever just because I'm you know, super excited to play. So kind of gives you that balance that I can't play all the time because sometimes I'd find that in the past I would just play because I felt like I had to. I didn't like to... If I wasn't doing anything super exciting, I was like, okay, I need to be playing poker then because I can, you know, make money and do well, right. and win triple crowns and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Well, I was going to say, like, yeah, you have to put in some, some volume of some kind to get 24 triple crowns and 12 million cashes, I guess. So was there was there ever a time where you were like... I mean, I, I guess a good example, we, we spoke to um, Tom Hall uh a few episodes back, and uh, he was talking to us about how he, he's, like, super motivated to always just be grinding tons of tables, and um, and just he, he feels like he just wants to play all day, every day. Uh, was there ever a time where you were, like, super into the grind to the point where you were just kind of all about poker all, all the time? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, for four or five years ago, like, that was just – I just, you
2: know, eat, sleep, drink poker, you know? Like, I was just <laughs> sort of playing – six maybe seven days a week sometimes and just that was kind of my life basically but like my happiness was kind of linked to how poker was going completely like if i was having a bad few weeks and i was you know i'd you know be really sort of in a bad mood and stuff and like yeah. alternate it was just kind of it just wasn't a healthy kind of lifestyle but yeah. you know, like my natural instinct is to do that so like i have to sort of almost force myself to like be in a place where i can't play so i don't play
1: Right, yeah, yeah, I, I can see what you mean there. I've definitely, you know, been through the same thing where you're like, your your mood is constantly linked to how you're playing, and of course, the worse your mood is, the harder it is to play your absolute best, you know. And it becomes this kind of vicious cycle of like, you you run bad, so you play worse, and then you you wish you run you wish you ran better, and you kind of feel like you're trapped in this circle of of not playing your best because you're you're just stuck in in a mindset of thinking about variance all the time, you know. And it, it can be pretty dangerous. So it's I think the the more people that we speak to, the more it seems like. Um, and a, a, a sort of a good work-life balance is kind of a, almost an essential part of actually succeeding in the long term in poker. Really, you can't go through that hardcore grind mindset for for more than maybe a couple of years. Yeah, you're just gonna like end up burning yourself out. Like, right?
2: I've seen people. I'm just remember I can't. Um, I don't know, like. So, so, think of a name off the top of my head but um i remember sc trojans he was like just playing everything and like he uh-huh. was watching it but then like he just got to the stage where like he just kind of didn't like poker anymore and doesn't really play much anymore kind of thing uh-huh. like, you see so many of those kind of guys So you have to be careful that you don't do that and that uh, like i'm fortunate i still really enjoy the game so mm-hmm. that's, i think that's key to like um you know playing for a long time
1: absolutely you know it's got to be something you're passionate about so i mean we we, we touched on you know the idea of so I can balance between stuff off the table and and on the table but of course the major thing off the table recently for you has been the uh, the book release so uh, I guess congratulations first of all on uh, on the book I'm, I'm sure it's doing very well judging by the amount of uh, the amount of pictures I see on your Twitter feed of people posting photos of them reading your book in obscure places and <laughs> yeah. that uh, that's that sounded like a bit of fun tell us about that competition you ran
2: um yeah I just was I just wanted to give like I don't know well previously um, I did a I can't remember what the exact competition was before, but I did one, and this um, Truly truly Co, I think her name was, she won a piece of me in uh, EPT London. And I actually went pretty deep, and that got, like, 36. But um, I then – so she, like, got a bit of money back from that. But I met her at um, my book launch uh, party in uh, the Vic, and she was, like, you know, really – she was really appreciative and, like, excited about it. And I was just, like – and I met quite a few sort of just – people, fans off Twitter and stuff, like, mm-hmm. so, and it was just cool to talk to them and stuff, and I just really wanted to, I don't know, like, win a bit of money for people, and it kind of, like, inspires you to play your best when someone else has, you know, someone else has a bit of the action, and, like, yeah. like, you get short, you know, you get short stats. It's obviously, in live tournament, sometimes you get down on yourself or whatever, and you might make a bad play and just kind of give up on the tournament, but if it's, if other people, you know, like, I think one of the winners now... Um, his his wife's pregnant, and uh, they're going to be having a kid, and like just to win money for them would like would be amazing kind of thing. So yeah,
1: wow. that's, that's cool. It's it's good to be able to give something back, I guess. Yeah, and I should I should mention at this point actually, I do have a copy of your book sitting right next to me right now. Um, so I'll, I'll apologize in advance for not having finished it yet. But um, of course the 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 format of the book I think is a is a great way for for people to kind of get um to get a handle on the the sort of philosophy that's taken you to to where you are now. So. Um I'm kind of curious how you came around that to the the kind of decision to go with the the format that you did because I know it's it's obviously written in conjunction with Byron Jacobs so uh can you talk to us a little bit about the kind of the process of writing and how that came about that you decided to go through you know go through it from the perspective of looking at his hands and sort of having you dissect them and and kind of look at the mistakes he might have made Um
2: yeah like I think originally like we would discuss various formats but because I never d- done something like this before it's not it's really hard to like start off from scratch like writing a book mm-hmm. and that so it was quite helpful that he was he was like providing me the material and then I could go from that and I, it just gave me um it made it a lot easier for me to start you No, know, once it's weird like once you get started on it you like get into it and you you're good to mm-hmm. go but like just starting completely from scratch I felt felt like it was just kind of too daunting a task and right once we we like did a couple of the hands, uh, like, got feedback from a few people, and they really, like, uh, enjoyed it and thought it was good and different. So we just kind of went with it, and it. I think it worked out so well.
0: But right, it's yeah. kind of funny.
2: Like, um, I always wrote the book when I was here in L.A., because – Whenever I was on the, the road, like, I was always too distracted by online. like So I had to I actually had to play in L.A. and do, like, five or six hands a day kind of thing. So I'd come here for a week and just work on the book.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you could have... I
2: had, to, I had to be away from online poker for those times.
1: <laughs> you could you could have always written a book while, like, one tabling in the background. Then you could put some brag in the book about how much money you won while writing the book, you know? <laughs> or, it, alternatively, it could happen that I lost money, so... Oh, that's true. Yeah, you wouldn't want to put that in there, you know? Yeah. but... Still, like that's, um, you know, it's it's good that I think like one of the things that I've I've definitely discovered, you know, doing doing a lot of coaching and doing doing things outside of poker is that um the there's kind of there's almost a cross training effect sometimes in the writing about poker and coaching helps me to think about my own game and helps me learn while I'm not even necessarily trying to learn and I guess I'm I'm curious whether you found that the process of actually writing down your thoughts and looking at somebody else's hands in that level of detail did you find that actually made you kind of reconsider aspects of your own thought process and help you a little bit with your game.
2: Um, yeah, definitely. Because obviously, when you're playing online, you're playing quite a few tables at a time, and a lot of the spots you think, oh, it's just kind of standard. But then, if you actually have to like give a reason why you did something, and you think you start thinking about it more, and those some of those spots that you thought was standard aren't actually as standard as you like originally right. thought. So mm-hmm. you kind of change up a bit what you're doing, and yeah, you kind of I don't know. It just makes you think in a different way about the game. And poker is obviously one of those things where there's no real right or wrong answers, short of like. Yeah folding mm-hmm. the nuts or something but yeah, like <laughs> yeah you can, exactly you can like get a good result or you like in a hand like you're trying to maximize obviously you're even in a hand but like there's a, like so many different ways of doing that so yeah, yeah exactly. so, like, I think about the game yeah. more and I yeah. feel like in that period where I was writing the book I was playing really well as well when I did get the chance to play so it was almost like I was just When I did play, I was like, okay, I need to be, I need to like be playing my A game because I'm writing a book about poker, so I don't really make bad plays and seeing it people. Yeah, it
1: it holds you to a higher (laughs) standard, doesn't it? It was the same with me when I started coaching. I was like, all all of a sudden, I'm like, right. I I mean, people people are paying me to learn about poker now, so I've got to get my get myself together. You know, make sure that I don't start just donking it around. You know, sometimes, and uh, and it it definitely has. it, It gives you an extra level of motivation to know that there's there's some kind of level of criticism of your game or somebody looking at your game as an example that, that goes beyond just you know your own um your own wanting to make money you know and i think it's, it's interesting that those those themes of like something beyond your own motivation being necessary uh seem to come up a lot with people on this podcast as well and that you know everybody everybody likes to have something to play for like you say whether it's like a, a, a fan who's got a piece of you whether it's wanting to be able to play for um for the sake of like you know making sure that you're do it, make it, giving a good account of yourself if you're writing a book or whether it's you know coaching things like that. Um, so it's it's interesting that you know people keep people keep coming up with that stuff. Um, so I guess the other thing that I'm curious about, um, sort of following on from that, is is what you know in regard to you mentioned you you spend a lot of time in LA sort of working on your own game while you're not uh, not able to play online. Uh, what, what kind of things are, is it that you do to um, to work on your own game? Is it more reviewing hands or is it like using Tech tools and software like HRC, holding resources calculator, anything like that. Like, what? What are you? Are you a math guy with with the, with the analysis, or are you just reviewing hands and kind of looking at maybe potential leaks or mistakes?
2: Um, I'm getting a little bit more into in like, the math side of things, but I'm uh-huh. still not really like, you know, like trying to play GTO. Uh-huh. Well. But I have like recently got into a couple of like, obviously holding resources was like a huge thing, and I feel like. I always just go back over hands at the time where I thought it was close and see like how close I was and stuff in certain spots, but uh-huh. I guess just um some watching videos and stuff from right once sometimes and uh also we have like recently like a few a few of my friends we've created like a Facebook thread where we put interesting hands down and we talk about them and how uh-huh. we try and exploit you know like regs doing this or that, and yeah, just kind of so I've definitely recently sort of tried to work on things a lot more because obviously the games are getting so much tougher and it's not like mm-hmm. back in the day where you could just click register and you know you're going to make money every time you click register even if you're not playing your own game kind of thing. Uh
1: uh-huh. Yeah I think um, that idea of games getting tougher is something that um, people are I think there's a, there's a concern about it in, in a few different places so what's you know what's your perspective on sort of the state of MTTs these days online because I, I keep hearing people with all these doomsday predictions of how poker is not going to be viable as a way to make a living within five years or something like that. Where do you stand on that kind of an issue? Um, yeah, it's a bit,
2: I don't know, it's a bit up in the air in the, at the moment, I think. Like, just because I feel like folk stars have kind of, you know, got a monopoly in the market at the moment and they can almost do whatever they want. But, mm-hmm. like, the thing at the moment I find is that only Sundays and Tuesdays, and now Thursdays, I guess, a bit, now they've introduced, uh, like, the Thursday through, I think that's, like, increased the sizes of, uh, like, the the field sizes that day as well, bit. but, uh-huh. like, back in the day, it used to be, like, yeah, I, you know, every day, I'd be, like, oh, I can't miss this, because, like, oh, this, this tournament is, like, you know, if K for first or whatever, and now, there's just, like, some days those days where, like, I didn't play yesterday, like, just kind of, like, just went out and actually got drunk instead, but... Uh, <laughs> But then when I came home and I, like, was checking the lobbies and I was, like, uh, I was jealous that I hadn't played because, obviously, you see all these big prize scores. And, uh, but, like, that is that and Tuesday really is the only day online now that that really happens. Like, so, uh-huh. just, yeah, I feel like it's in a state of transition. I'm not sure, kind of, what direction it's going to go. Also, I do find that maybe people overestimate, like, how much tougher the games are going. I still see, like ridiculous kinds of stuff going on all the time and just there's certain tournaments which are just still really soft. But I do, one thing I do think is obviously those players who, the weaker players, uh, are playing a different kind of style of uh, poker where they're, you know, at least making aggressive moves and stuff and just putting you in tough spots Mm -hmm. rather than before. They're just, you could run them over or they'd just be check-folding too much or just playing, you know. Now they're like, I mean sometimes their lines might not make sense and you can pick them off but they're still putting you to a tough decision for your chips a lot of the time so it's
1: Yeah ex- exactly a, yeah. You've, got, you've got these guys from like Brazil and Russia who've learned who've learned poker through different mechanisms than what most people from the western world have done so you know they they've learned from training sites that teach them that they can like raise fold a bunch from like 9 big blinds and and they can you know in the case of most of the russian guys it's like they learn a particularly aggressive style that sort of involves a ton of like big overbets post-flop and putting people in really crazy weird spots um, and it, it definitely takes you out of your comfort zone playing against those guys and like you say even though they might be making a lot of mistakes in some spots like they they put you in positions where you're you're just so unfamiliar with the circumstances of what's going on that you have to sort of reconsider everything that your brain is kind of wired to to believe about a certain spot you know because like you say when you're playing tons of tables or not even tons of tables when you're playing a few tables it's really hard to, to like break break a spot down even against a weaker player and and and, uh, and sort of pick it apart if you if it's just so unfamiliar. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, to some extent, maybe, maybe, do you think there's maybe uh slightly higher variance as a result of that, or do you think it's maybe some other factors that are influencing variance, like field sizes and things like that? Um, no, I think, yeah, it definitely increases
2: variance. Like, you'll be playing like a Russian guy or whatever, and he'll open the cart off, and you'll see through them with pocket nines, and he just rips in, like, 60 bigs or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's got deuces or whatever, but, like, yeah, you know you you lose that it's obviously costs you a tournament and stuff so yeah
1: exactly it, it just it gets cool. um yeah i guess um you know those those kinds of things those like monitoring variants and sort of being able to manage manage the variance in your game and stuff is, is something that like I, I guess a lot of our listeners are probably playing a lot of low stakes tournaments and and i'm sure everybody out there um has experienced you know what it's like to play in the huge the big field stuff on stars at at, like, the $5 or the $10 buy-ins and stuff. And these days, when you've got, like, 5,000 players in a tournament at $5 buy-in, it's no wonder that a lot of low-stakes players struggle to figure out for a long time whether they're actually a winning player or not, you know. So um, do you, do you cool. find yourself playing on a lot of sites outside of stars to try to minimize that variance, or do you still stick to mostly stars? and full-time? I mean,
2: I was before, like, before it got – obviously, the French sites got banned for the UK players. So yeah, that's – uh, <laughs> I was pretty
1: sure still- that happened.
2: Yeah, it was huge. i only just you know, that that year actually I'd only just started to work, to work out how to win on Pokestars France and they took it away. Like the first, <laughs> first year I was a losing player and trying to block and get getting called down every time and sort of throwing <laughs> players in my head, like, Oh, how can you he call here? And then I realised that I just obviously needed to adapt my game and then next year I was like doing really well and then they like took it away and I really enjoyed uh Winnermax as well, which I felt like had really good software.
1: Yeah, Winnermax sort of good
2: like they had like smaller field tournaments which were a lot more winnable, but Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoyed that site before that went as well. So now it's kind of really Stars, I feel like, I mean, AA is coming up a little bit, but I've always been annoyed at their software because I spend half my time sat out on there because I just can't hear yeah, the yeah. alerts and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what
1: about um, what about Party Poker? What are your feelings about them these days?
2: Um, yeah, I feel like they kind of missed the boat a bit. They had like definitely a big opportunity to sort of to step up and you know like. They definitely could have gained a huge market share if they've done if they've done the right things, but I think they're going in the other other direction at the moment, and maybe their focus isn't really on poker; it's more like you know sports betting and stuff like that or TV. Yeah, stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. sounds like it. So they've got um they've still got their you know they they've had terrible software for years, and they just don't seem to care. Like it, it's it's unfathomable to believe that they just don't know or no one's told them that their <laughs> software has been bad. You know, but like they they just they they improved it a little bit like they had one update where they they revamped the way it looked but it was it still sucked like I I don't understand how they didn't sort of actually get the get themselves together and and yeah. sort it out but I guess yeah like you say their their priorities priorities are elsewhere I suppose um yeah but so I suppose I, I read the other day that they just
2: uh, linked up with uh, DTD and like Rob Young and all that so maybe oh, okay. they can have like an influence I think DTD went from iPoker to Party and like they're gonna have He's going to have quite a big influence there, so you know all the great stuff he's done at, at DTD. Uh, maybe he can, you know, sort party out a little bit as well. So maybe, yeah, is. maybe.
1: who knows? Who knows? But um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting time for the, the kind of the online scene. I know um, MTT guys like us have not necessarily been affected quite so much as some other um, some other guys by the the rake increases the stars brought in. But of course, they, they ended up going back on that as, uh, in the end. So that was uh, that was good news, I suppose. But you know that that whole thing um, got me thinking about like the the long term and, and different types of games that um, that people might be jumping in and, and sort of being a bit more multidisciplinary in future. So is that do you have any plans to kind of branch out outside of MTTs in the future and sort of develop your your game in other areas, or are you kind of mostly planning to stick to tournaments?
2: No, I'm thinking of like going in back. Like I started off as a cash game player and um, uh-huh. going back in that direction. Like uh, obviously. I do do want to be able to play poker a little bit in the US so I just uh one of, I was talking to one of my friends uh uh here um AMAC, 316 well, uh, he yeah, he's, a,
1: he's, he's been playing,
2: like... he's been playing a lot of uh, cash on Bovada which is like a U.S. site. Okay. Yeah and
1: he's
2: just said the games are really good and mm-hmm. they were like he was there he said there was like 10 uh, 4 10 20 games going in like a day which it's pretty big for like, I didn't think, I, didn't, I hadn't really checked out the site at all because I didn't think it was that big and I was mm-hmm. worried about cashing out and stuff like that. So definitely looking into maybe playing there and getting, um, yeah, getting in, back into cash a bit. Just because like long term, I'm probably going to be living in California, but I'm, uh-huh. so I'm hoping that the, uh, it gets legalized here and then, uh, yeah, I, I'm from what I hear from people like the cash games. Should be if they get legalized in the state, like the cash games online should be really good, just because like Mm. you know people got a lot of people got a lot of money to burn here kind of thing, and they'll be (laughs) excited to play online, and they won't really be that educated about how to play well. So it could be like rolling back a few years and going back in time. So I'm excited for that. So obviously if that does come about, I want to be in a position where I've got like my game pretty honed in, rather than be trying Uh to catch up. Kind of yeah
1: absolutely and you got in pretty early then i guess having a reason to move to la before the uh before the legislation even comes in so you're uh you're lucky there you hopefully i mean i guess with the visa regulations and everything you might even have a permanent residency qualification there by the time it pushes through so you, uh you won't have to even like hop back and forth between the uk or whatever but um but yeah that's uh that sounds good it's i think it's Bavada's a site that doesn't operate in the uk so i think maybe a few people over here aren't too familiar with it but i'm sure our american listeners are probably uh Probably familiar with the, the kind of games that are on there, so it's um it's good to hear that like there might be at least something out there for American players, uh, in a state as big as California, because obviously the New Jersey and the other places like I guess they're becoming some sort of small poker hubs, but they're not really offering games to the to the wide extent that some other places might be. So it's I guess things are looking up for US poker a little bit, which I, I guess is looking up for you too, right? Because I guess you're going to be spending quite a lot of time there. Um, yeah, like I can't remember who it was, but I remember
2: someone saying um, the other the other week. It's crazy how. Um, I think it was Patouche uh, actually and he was like saying something that's crazy how like now there's no real young American grinders like on the live circuit and stuff like uh-uh. the, the youngest people are like Dan Coleman who's at like, 24 because yeah. the people aren't you know they can't play online and they don't really learn at the casino like just sort of and develop you know and move out of the country on a on a whim kind of thing like if yeah, they, yeah. they play online in the US then they'd, uh-huh. they'd get, you know, develop and, yeah
1: yeah it's interesting
0: Bad news, Americans. Uh, Chris Mormon is coming. <laughs> there's, there's probably a lot of American listeners right now going, "Oh, great! You know, Chris Mormon's going to be at my table, and it's going to be on Bavada, so we won't even know it's him." <laughs> yeah, I playing crazy. That would be me. <laughs> uh,
1: everyone, in Chris, California I want to just quit Bovada.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Chris, one thing I wanted to ask you about: I, I was just kind of browsing through a lot of your caches and things like that, and that, two things kind of struck me. One was uh, you know on the days you play, you tend to cash a ton of things, and they're in a whole you know giant range of buy ins from you know twenty seven dollars all the way up to obviously the biggest stakes. How many tables are you generally playing at a time and and sort of what's your setup you know in terms of you know multiple monitors or do you stack and tile all that kind of stuff
2: um well like recently I've just been trying to play in like around twelve tables, like n- not really going over that maybe fifteen occasionally on like Sunday or something but yeah, like, obviously back in day I would play a lot more, but now I've cut down the tables quite a bit. But I do find that if I play too few, then I'll, unless it's deep in the tournament, I'll be trying to do too much and trying to win too many hands. So it kind of, like, it stops me doing silly stuff by playing a few more than a lot of people. But yeah, I like to play the, you know, like, the lower stakes as well. I just kind of find it fun, people doing silly stuff, and... It's just kind of, I don't know, it's just good for your overall outlook on poker as well when you see, like, so many bad players at the table rather than having to battle in the 100 rebuy against, like, eight wrecks on the table. It's it's You know, that's fun as well, but it's fun in a different way, and, like, it's nice to have those sort of softer tournaments where you can just get a big stack and just keeps you, I don't know, it just keeps your morale high for the session. And, like, yeah. you, you never know, sometimes you can, you know, that $22 you used to play the big 22, you turn it into 10000 so <laughs> it's, it's worth being in it. <laughs>
1: absolutely you've got to be able to win it as we say
2: so. but yeah I would like I normally just sort of tile my tables and well before, previously I would just carry a, a monitor like r- around me in my suitcase wherever I go and just use that but that last one busted and I've actually enjoyed just playing on like I just got a new laptop but like it's only like a 17 inch laptop but I've just been playing on that but I found that almost, almost better because when I was using a monitor I was getting distracted by the internet a lot more on my other screen and kind of just using uh-huh. the other screen to sort of Skype all the time and, mm-hmm. you know, just doing other stuff, and that kind of took my uh, focus away from the game. So now I've just been playing on the, on that monitor kind of, and all the games are, like, right in front of me, and I've almost got, like, tunnel vision, and for that 55 minutes till the sync break comes, I'm just sort of solely thinking about that. So that's kind of been helping me sort of get in the zone and um, be, be more focused. And also it kind mm-hmm. of limits me because I know I can't, fit any more tables than like 15 really so there's no way I can play more tables than that so I you know I late, regist- I late register a bunch of stuff and uh, it stops me going over sort of my table number that I'd want to play because I'm just one of those people where if, I'm, if I see that it's a half decent price for first it, I don't really care what the buy-in is so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's like you yeah. said, right? You just you like you get that feeling where you want to be in every tournament. All of a sudden, you're playing like eighteen, twenty tables, and it's gets getting a bit out of control. So, it's um yeah, I actually found that as well when I switched back to one monitor for a while, um just because one of my monitors broke. Like I found it was actually surprisingly, it was kind of liberating to just have one screen to focus on. You know, you don't have to constantly be flipping your attention around from one place to the other. So, it's uh it, it's definitely. It's it's a luxury to have more than one monitor, but it's not it's not necessarily essential. There are people out there who might consider it essential, and I, I don't necessarily think it is. I um I think there's you know there's every reason to suggest that you can you can still play good poker and play a bunch of tables on one monitor if you uh, if you do it right. So it's good that he said like that. Yeah, I mean the thing is like
2: one the one drawback is it's really hard to run a HUD or anything just because tables are pretty small and like all the numbers getting away. So to me, uh, I've, yeah. I've tried it a couple of times and it sort of clouds my screen and it just gets me like I don't know it just makes me sort of frustrated as we we're in a session and I just found that I didn't really like it also like when I was using the HUD and I would get these you know like a crazy number that made me do, do make a different decision to what I would have done and if it worked right. out wrong obviously that's kind of being results oriented. but I was annoyed like the HUD and I was like well I could have done that better myself so i, just, <laughs> I still like I'm still doing it without a HUD at the moment, but yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I definitely Absolutely. go
2: back and forth on that because obviously you're missing out on a bunch of stuff. But I just it, I feel like when I if I um, was using a HUD, I'd be a lot more lazy and sort of not take notes. Like I just kind of like watch hands back and taking notes whenever I can. So I kind uh-huh. of doing it. I'm doing it the old school way.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that's very old school. Like it, you can you can tell that you've been a, you're a guy who's been around for a long time when you're you're able to twelve table with no HUD and still take a bunch of notes and. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. So, do you did you like did you come up using a HUD through the the early like times when you were playing when you were first kind of getting into NTTs, or are you are you someone who kind of caught on a bit late and then and then now you want to go back to how it was before? Um, I
2: used to use uh, like a HUD and all poker track and stuff for cash games, and I just found that that was just like essential basically. So like ah. that was only the reason I switched the tournaments in the first place because like the site I was playing on went down, and mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't get my HUD up from working. On the stars and tilt, I so had to wait for like a friend to come over and sort it out, and he was, yeah. couldn't come over for a week or something. And uh, so, in that downtime, I wanted to play a bit of poker, and I started like dabbling in tournaments and just kind of realized that people weren't very good at them and had a, like <laughs> had a few had early successes and was kind of hooked. And then when I did sort of get, he came came over and sorted the hard out, and then I got back into cash games. I had like the wrong mentality. I was like playing the cash games, and when I got stuck, I was like I play until I got even, so I'd just play, like, these mammoth sessions, and then if I started off really well and had, like, a good table, like, won a few buy-ins, I was like, trying to lock up my profit for the day and stop playing, I'd be like, oh, I only need to play half an hour today, kind of thing. So I had the (laughs) complete wrong mentality, and I just kind of decided to stick with tournaments, but for tournaments, I've never I mean, I used the hub maybe for, like, hmm, three weeks in a row once, That that was probably the longest time I've ever used the hub, so I've hardly I really don't have that much experience with it, but obviously most of my friends use a HUD, and they're always telling me these numbers about certain people and stuff. So I don't know. I kind of have like a men- mental HUD about people in my head.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it must it must be it must be a case of you know personal preference really, because there are I mean obviously like it, it's it's definitely the case that there are a lot of uh, a lot of players out there who who managed to play winning poker over a longer period of time without using a HUD, and of course you're one of them. Um, but but a lot of people are, as well are are in the camp of like not if you if you if you're someone out there who hasn't got the ability yet to discern the information that's relevant from a certain spot um and you you maybe want you want to be able to play more tables and get in more volume and just put in more hands but without necessarily you know impact negatively impacting your ability to tell what's going on then like a a simple hud out there you know if you're someone playing low stakes mtt's i think is really important but of course once you get to once you get to your level, Chris, I'm, so, I'm sure you have most you have a lot of reads on most of the guys that you're playing with regularly anyway, so a hard is only useful up to a certain point, right? Right, yeah. I mean, like, one of my good friends, Richard Trick, the claimer, he had, uh, like,
2: 2013, just had a terrible year online and was, like, whatever, pretty deep in makeup or whatever. And uh, he was, sort of, um, started using a hard for 2014 and, like, really went into it and put a lot of time into what he wanted on his hard and studied what each thing meant and then just, like, Played like did that thing where he like played like six seven days a week and really just got into like knowing everything about everyone and just kind of crushed the year. Like I think he was maybe like three hundred k on the stars that for the year, but like without a score bigger than forty k in the whole year. So like he he even lost in the W Coops like and the scoop, but he managed to make you know a, a big chunk of money just and like he was his real confidence was in his heart. Like he. He just needed his HUD to play. Like, obviously, it's not playing for him, but he was just interpreting all the numbers really well and um, yeah. really, like, mixing up his game based on the HUD and, like, just sort of catering the best way to beat each, each opponent, basically.
1: Yeah, and I think that's you know, that's one of the things that people sort of forget about a lot of the time. Like, the people who are in the camp of, like, wanting to ban HUDs from poker they, because they think it gives some kind of unfair advantage. Like, ultimately, there are plenty of people out there who are making mistakes based on their HUD. Just the same way there are people who are benefiting from it, so it like being able to actually use your heart effectively is a skill in itself, and that's something that obviously Rick has probably got a very good handle on i mean he certainly certainly seemed to have a good good year last year, it seemed like he was crushing every time I saw him on the table so um so it's uh it's something that yeah it's it's a personal personal thing i guess, so it's good to hear that there are people out there who are succeeding both 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 with it and without it um so I guess um changing tack a little bit i there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on we we talked about being in the states a little bit, but of course. Um, we're in February right now. We've got a few months to go until uh, until WSOP time. So, uh, so what are your plans for this year with regard to you know Vegas and and how are you planning to sort of approach that this summer? Um yeah, I was when it came out the schedule. I think I was in New Zealand, but
2: I was like when I first read it, oh, I was so excited for it. it just kind of got that buzz and
1: uh, like,
2: yeah, I'm just really excited, especially like the. Um, the deeper stacks, like having five times the buy-in now and starting chips, like I think that's, mm-hmm. for, for the 1Ks and 1500s, I think that's huge. Like just having 5,000 chips in a 1K instead of 3,000 is just a massive difference. Like in the past, I feel like obviously those 1K fields, there's like 3,000 people in there sometimes, and you're just, you know, it just seems so impossible to to win that tournament. But now with the extra chips, you know, you can lose a few hands to begin with and you're not out of the tournament, you can, you know, come back from, you know, could lose four-fifths of your stack, and you're still you're still sitting there, and you've still got thirty, forty big blinds. So I uh, think yeah. um, I think that's going to be huge. Like I, I, I think you'll see a lot. The, I think the fields this year will be a lot stronger deep in in these big no-limit holding tournaments than before. Which yeah. I mean, it's maybe not great for the game overall, but it's obviously good for the the better players. Uh
0: huh. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because I think, like you said, I think you will see better players trickling to the top. But I also think the schedule is going to be incredibly appealing to recreational players because of the deeper stacks. Uh, and because, you know, they did implement some other kind of neat twists like the 50 50 tournament and the bounty tournament. Yeah, the
2: losses that, uh, the Colossus, that uh, five, five <clears throat> time will be, that's going to be crazy. The Rio is going to, like, overcrowd
0: with people. Yeah, it's going to be a fun summer for sure. <laughs> What's your what's your usual sort of, um, you know, arrange, we, we've talked to people who like to just stay at the Rio, you know, and be in their hotel room. We've talked to people who get, you know, a house with 10 guys. There's other people who just get maybe a small condo with two guys. How do you usually treat sort of your your life away from the Rio during the World Series?
2: Um, well, the last few years I've stayed at like um, Palms Place and uh, Vidara last year, just sort of with uh, my, my fiance and kind of just... Outside of poker, it's kind of good because then it gives you a little break from poker. Like, so, you know, when I'm out in the tournament, we could go and have like a nice dinner or whatever, and it kind of gives you that break rather than coming home and everyone wants to chat about poker when you're like, we've, you know, like I've been, I've done it where I've been like living in the house with like seven guys before, and it's like, it's obviously really fun, you have great times and that, but like everyone's sort of talking about poker all the time, and it kind of can become a bit, bit much, and it's nice to mm-hmm. sort of have that break away from it. and go back to reality and remember that you know like um if if you even if you've lost that day of poker there's always tomorrow and stuff so it doesn't make it the b1 end or it doesn't seem the b1 end or
0: that makes sense yeah makes sense speaking of live poker i did want to mention i guess coming up on almost the the year anniversary of um you shipping the wpt la poker classic for over a million uh, and i know that was something that you had wanted to you know, shipping a big live tournament was something you wanted to accomplish for a long time. How did that feel?
2: Um, Yeah, I still can't believe now, to be honest. Because like, it, it was just a really weird tournament, like the whole... Like, they were very short days, so I think it was like a five or six-day tournament. But we'd only play, there was no dinner breaks, and you'd be done by like 8 p.m. each day. So it went on a while, but every, every day, I didn't really think I was... I wasn't all in for my tournament life until there was... uh until we were free-handed, and then obviously I won that big freeway all-in on the river, which was crazy, like, saved all my life for that one. But, yeah, it was a weird tournament. I was just kind of, like, playing smaller parts and didn't really get into any of these big, sort of, cooler uh, confrontation kind of hands. And, yeah, it was I was just... I, even but Obviously, in, like, a live tournament, you're going to have periods where you're frustrated and things aren't going well for you, but even in those periods, I was just, like, really relaxed and focused and... And I just felt, I don't know, I just felt really confident, and just certain signs throughout the tournament were just like I just felt like I was going to go deep, and uh, yeah, I still can't believe the like the final table, I kind of going in my own head, like with four players left, it was it was a six-handed final table. I came in second in chips, but with position on uh, Michael Roca, the chip leader, and I won kind of like all the first few hands, and I was, I maybe had half the chips and play four-handed, and I just felt like I was basically going to win this tournament, like uh, like nine times out of ten from this position. And I just got completely in my own head and played like four of the worst hands of my life in a row. Just Like, <laughs> like went from uh, like one of four to four of four, and then luckily uh, we had like a break at the right time. And like my friends and friends talked to me and stuff, and they were just told me, you know, got nothing to lose now. And I was fortunate enough to like win the next uh, like double up in the hand. Which, and, uh, yeah, from there, I just felt like I had nothing to lose and managed to pull it back. But definitely I could have just easily thrown it away and it came forth and <laughs> could it would have been <laughs> the most frustrating tournament ever. So it's kind of yeah. the thin line between success and
0: failure in that spot. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, congrats on that. Obviously well-deserved.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Absolutely, man. And, and, of course, like that, that being your uh, – your one, your probably your your biggest, you know, live achievement. There's obviously um, another one which I, uh, I guess I wanted to, to touch on a little bit, which was your uh, World Series of Poker Europe final table, where you ended up. If I'm right, you you ended up heads up against LAO Fox. Was that right? Yeah. 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 Was, okay. Well. Cool. I mean, we've got WSOP Europe coming up again this year in Germany. So how how are you feeling about that going into that? I'm really good. Yeah, I'm excited.
2: i never. I think we're going to do like a trip because it's goes. Uh, okay to October 1st and stuff like that. I've never done that, so that should be fun. And just uh-huh. ways, like, I liked it when they had the uh, EPT in Berlin. Like, I really liked that venue. I, I've had a little bit of success there. I got, like, second in a high roller tournament. I lost the sort of uh, marathon heads up against Elke and that. But, so I had a bit of success there, so I'm excited <laughs> to go back. And, uh, yeah, like, feeling good about it. Like, that was definitely one of probably the toughest final table I, I played. Like, every player on that final table was, like, really accomplished and uh, a great player. So that was – and, like, since has gone on to, like, do good things in the game. So that was definitely um, a really tough final table. And obviously, like, I, I wanted to win in second. It was a bit disappointing. But when you reflect on it, like, I was really happy with how I played for the most part. And, you know, that's, that's all you can do in those situations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So who, who else was at that final table? I forget. I think I watched uh, it at some point. It was uh, Jay
2: Cody, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah. Max Silver, who's done done well since, and I think it's a very good player. Um, it was uh, Elio, so I think he's like, one of mm-hmm. the best online guys. Um, Dermot Blaine, who's a like, really solid, good, like, right. like, like, a lot of success. Uh, Sean Buchanan, who's just won, like, every scoop and W scoop going. Uh, yeah. And then Mustafa Kanit, I know not Mustafa Kennedy, It was like, I can't remember. Someone I think like Krantz, this German guy, who's won. He was going for the triple crown if he won that live triple crown. So wow. I mean, he, he's won, Yeah, he's someone that a lot of people didn't know. But yeah, he's one. Of, I remember when I like Hendon Mobbed him. He won a lot of big stuff. So
0: uh-huh.
2: um, I feel like there was someone else as well, but I can't even, I can't even remember now. But yeah, every player was it was uh, tough player
0: yeah i see i see Patrick antonius finished ninth, but I don't know if that was part of the final table or not <laughs> it was it
2: wasn't his fault i bad beat him for like a huge pot so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> did you uh did you find that like i mean antonius is one of those players that obviously like he's played a bunch on t v and in, in cash games things like that, and he always has always seems to have a very intimidating process life did you find that was the case or is it is it not all that's cracked up to be when when you're actually uh, against no, definitely.
2: I've played against him quite a few times live actually like uh when I final tabled Aussie Millions, like my first real big live final table, he was on the final table there as well. And uh, I lost most of my chips trying to free barrel bluff him. So <laughs> he's, kind of, <laughs> he's kind of got the bear of me every time. And then since then, he's like free bet me quite a few times in like a short sample. And I felt like I'd been overfolding to him. I just kind of had bad hands and, Kind of, I didn't want to get too t- tangled up, in him and like on a on a like softer table. So I'd maybe let him run me over a little bit. So this time, I think I'd open ace seven off on the button, and he free back me from the small blind. I already knew it was happening, so I was like, I was pretty happy to shove, and he just had ace queen, and uh, and I just binged on him on the river for like all the chips and <laughs> nine left in there. So I actually felt pretty bad because he kind of owned me like every time, and I just got you know that's the like beauty of poker, I guess. Like I got, I just got lucky against him, but probably didn't really yeah, deserve yeah. it.
1: One of those spots where you just kind of give that sheepish grin and sort of avoid eye contact on the. River. <laughs>
2: I think he had, I think he had like two big blinds left out of hand as well, so he he hung around as well for the. For the <laughs> next so he hand. just has to sit there looking at you for like another two minutes while he while he
1: gets in his last two bigs. Yeah, I was just trying to avoid. He's he's his there. He's <laughs> there. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's still though. It's um, you know, it's good to. I suppose that, like, in terms of notches in your life, belt, you mentioned there's one guy that um, that had a, a live triple crown. There, I guess with all the online triple crowns, the live triple crown is the next one, right? Uh yeah. I mean,
2: it's obviously it's, it's a long way to go. Like, I feel like yeah. these are probably the the hardest tournaments to win. Like, and if, people who win them are like, you know, really deserving. Like, the most recent one where I cashed was one in London last year. Um, I. Bust on day three or was quite deep on day three. And through all the three days, my tables were just ridiculously hard tables. Like, I had one of my, like, I think my day two table had five people who played the 100Ks, like, regularly. And I was, like, oh. in a main event table, I was, like, what even is this table? I'm looking around. I'm, like, I don't even know if I... That's, that's ridiculous. That's, yeah. uh, that's
1: pretty horrible. And, wow.
2: Uh, like, obviously, you're disappointed to bust. I think I bust, like, 36th place. But, like, 1% of me was quite happy because I was, like, oh, I can, at least I can, like breathe and like relax now because every, it wasn't like (laughs) you couldn't even take any hands off. Like everyone was just like making it really tough and it was a bit different because obviously I play quite a few uh, live events in America now as well. I find the EPTs are quite a lot um, uh, tougher than the WPTs. Like I feel like there's a lot more maybe recreational players who play the WPTs and maybe they're more overall, they're probably more, catered towards them, They're, like everyone's a bit more friendly at the tables, whereas I find in EPTs a lot of the time, you know, there'll be like eight guys with headphones on and not really talking to each other when it gets, you know, off day two and beyond, so yeah, I find, like, yeah, I see different kinds of tournaments
1: uh-huh. yeah, absolutely, um, but of course, yeah, the um, the live Triple Crown, uh, WPT is one, one third of it, right? so you've just got the bracelet and the EPT to go so uh what about the bracelets are you are you you know bracelet hunting this summer are you like doing any bracelet bets or are
2: you um, just kind of go really on bracelet bets i find it like because obviously I, I I predominantly just play no limit hold them like i play at Omaha pretty well as well so i'll be playing those events but other than that i think it's hard to do bracelet bets on those events just because it feels yeah. so big
1: I, and, like, exactly. I,
2: I think it just almost puts too much pressure on it i'm just like obviously hoping to put myself in a bunch of good positions, like last 100 players and sort of with a good stack. Like, that's my thing. Like, whenever I've cashed, uh, on the whole, whenever I've cashed World Series Poker Tournaments, I've had a good stack going into the money. And, you know, like, also the antes are quite big in a lot of those tournaments. And I feel like when you do have that big stack in uh, a couple of thousand player fields, like, you can really punish people and uh, give yourself the best opportunity to make the final table and go from there. So... Yeah, I'm, uh-huh. I, I don't find that, you know, like, I'm not really trying to, you know, get that mink. Like, I did actually have it last year. I only crashed one event last year, and it was, like, a 3K. And it was probably the first time that I almost, that I was on the bubble, and I had, like, five big blinds, and I was that guy looking around, like, who's going to do something like that kind of thing. And normally, I'm, normally, I'm sitting there with monsters of chips and uh, and loving the bubble.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, did, did you, uh... It reminds me of, did you see that this year's World Series of Poker Coverage? There was a guy who was, like, basically slow rolling everyone on the on one of the pay jump bubbles when they had, like, 27 left. He, I think he got, um, I don't know, he, he basically he got dealt aces against Dan Smith and then, like, put all of his chips in apart from the last, like, did the thing that everyone does online where you, like, <laughs> go all, all in bar one chip. Yeah, yeah so he did my move. Did
2: Sorry? Sorry? I feel, like, I feel like I just started that move where you just leave one chip. <laughs> like, it's definitely, definitely <laughs> backfired on me before as well because like I haven't really got disconnected from it but it's, I, I've had it before where I've had like you know, I don't know like I've shoved with Ace Two R and someone's gone in, all in over the top so now I know I've obviously got three outs and I've just kind of like not I've not been thinking right and think I've just got re-raised and I'm like okay fold and then I'm like oh yeah, shit yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> well, you, see,
1: you see the different like the different boxes appear on your table and you're like oh there's a there's a box for Call instead of a box for, you know, whatever. Like I I don't know what it is, but you just like see it and you think it's just like a three bet, a standard three bet, and then you fold and you're like, oh wait, I only have five chips left or (laughs) thirty-seven left or something. Like you you realize you were getting like eighty-seven to one or something. Like. (laughs) And and there's probably guys. There's probably guys watching who go,
0: "Whoa, Chris Mormon just did this. There must be some (laughs) logic to this move. (laughs) (laughs) Let's break down the
1: math and find out why it's right." (laughs) That's, like, that's the biggest level of all time, then. You just keep consistently doing that, like, folding with, like, all, like, all but one chip, and then everyone will suddenly think that's, like, super good strategy. <laughs> I'm convinced that's what Norman Chad does. I'm convinced that, like... Oh, no, not Norman Chad, sorry. I'm not talking about Norman Chad. I mean, Phil Helmuth. I'm convinced that his his whole persona is a big level to try to get everybody playing super, super tight. How he always tells everybody <laughs> they should fold pocket jacks and fold everything. Uh, I'm convinced he's just trying to get everybody to play tighter so he can exploit them, but
2: um, there's no yeah. behind that, I I feel like with Helmuth, like I feel bad players play ten times worse than they normally do against him. That's, I feel like that's how he mm-hmm. gets all his chips. People just do silly stuff against him and uh, Yeah. I feel
0: yeah, like some it. of
2: his maybe like mistakes like work in his favour that people just try and out outplay him and do silly stuff and yeah. yeah.
1: He's created a persona where people have such an intense desire to beat him in a hand that they just punt off to him all the time, I guess.
2: Yeah, I've never actually. He's like the one player I've never really played against ever. I've never been on his it wow. which is kind of crazy. Yeah,
1: that's pretty surprising. Because he didn't he win didn't he win the WSOP Europe the year after you final play with it?
2: Yeah, I, I was out of that one within five minutes. So I think
1: <laughs> really, literally five minutes. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't last too long. That's for sure. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you'll get to play with him at some point. It just stands to. The reason that at some point you'll come across him and maybe maybe there's someone, who knows. But um but yeah, I mean, I guess, like, obviously you, you probably have played against a lot of the biggest name guys out, out there, so is there anybody out there who you feel like, I guess there's, there's two questions here, really. First of all, is there anybody out there who you feel has been, like, your, your toughest opponent, or I mean, you mentioned Elio, maybe he's a candidate, or, or also, is there anybody out there who feels, like, super underrated, who doesn't get enough attention? I guess here's a chance to, to plug them for you. Um,
2: I mean, it's hard, like, with that like, which opponent gives you the toughest time, because I feel like, unless you're playing the, the high rollers, like, regularly, you you just mm-hmm. don't play the same people enough, like, obviously, no, in all the 100k's, then you're going to be up against the same guys all the time,
3: mm-hmm.
2: whereas you're playing the main events, there's, like, you know, a thousand people in the tournament, you just don't play the same players very often, yeah, but absolutely. I'd say, like, obviously, I I used to, uh, like, back this guy, and he, and he did well for me, he won the uh, E.P.T. The Mon- Monte Carlo for me, but uh, most in Shania Chicago online oh, yeah. just recently uh, won Bellagio WPT as well, so he's I think he's won two WPTs and uh, EPT Grand Final, and obviously just needs to win a bracelet now for the Live yeah, Triple Crown. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I don't think he gets anywhere near the like coverage he should, so he'd yeah. probably be my one person.
1: Okay, cool. Well, I mean, it seems like these days, like there's there's just so many so many different disciplines the poker out there and there's so much attention, um, so much media attention in different areas, whether it's like the live coverage that goes on for the E P T or WSOP coverage, or even that like a lot of the poker that's shown on T V here in the UK, like there's there's so many different ways to get attention these days that I feel like the it's sort of scattered all over the place, you know, and a lot of the guys who are who are actually the best players out there are not necessarily the ones getting the attention. So it's it's good to be able to kind of give some recognition to some of the guys who, who, might, who might be crushing it out there without people necessarily knowing. So you know, I'm sure I'm sure you're in a good position to judge. So I'm, I'm guessing am guessing probably one to look out for in uh, in this Summer of World Series then, perhaps.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially when he needs to win that bracelet for the Triple Crown, I'm sure he's probably got some bracelet bets. In right, yeah, really he'll,
1: be
2: yeah, he'll be in every event, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> cool. Well, I guess... Uh, um, actually, there's one other thing I want to talk to you about just before we uh, before we wrap this up. Um, I, I noticed in the the foreword of your book, there's a, there's a little thing you mentioned about a, a story about your dad winning a tournament in uh, in UK IPT. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I found that was kind of a cool story about how you. I think you, you said you bought your guy, you, you bought your dad into a tournament, and he ended up shipping it. Oh uh, yeah, like well, it was
2: the g k p t It was before the UK IPT even existed. The GKPT, okay. so, yeah, yeah. second day when those those used to be big. Like it was. Uh, uh, up in Manchester, and I think this one had, like, 450 people in it, so a one uh, k buy-in, and I'd been living in Australia, like, for the last six months, I hadn't been home, so I missed his, I hadn't gotten his birthday friends, so I came home, like, about a month after his birthday, and, like, he's always someone like, oh, I don't really know what I want, kind of thing, so I was like, <laughs> how about, I'm going to play this tournament this weekend, how about you come up and play it with me? Like, he'd started getting into poker a little bit at this stage, just to, like... Yeah, yeah be able to relate to me and know what, and know what was going on. But he had, he'd only played mm-hmm. one live tournament before, which was like a 10-pound rebuy at a local casino. Huff. He played a bit yeah, online yeah. that had like a little bit of success. But yeah, he hadn't physically played, played any live poker. So he like came up and he played. Obviously, he was worried. He, he was really just worried about like showing me up. He didn't want to like bust be one of the first ones to bust out and uh yeah. just every break like we sort of like obviously chatting on the break and he'd have more chips every time i was like hey, what are you doing and he's just like yeah i'm just feeling confident and like we both made it through uh the first day like maybe 100 players left from 450 and uh we're both top 10 in chips And so i was like this is pretty awesome like no matter what happened at this point even if we both didn't cash it'd been like kind of We'd sort of got to catch up. We hadn't seen each other much lately. And, uh, yeah, it had been a good sort of father-and-son bonding weekend, whatever. But yeah. we had to sweat of maybe one of us could go deep in the tournament. And then I actually ended up bubbling the tournament. <laughs> <which> is, <laughs> but he, he, like, he made the money. And then he had – the main thing he wanted to do was make the final table. And I was a bit wor- worried because, like, we have, like, 10, 12 players left. He started playing a bit too tight. And I was worried uh-huh. that he was going to blind out. I think he went down to 10 big blinds a few times. And I was trying to coach him on the breaks. So I'd be like, tell him, right, you just need to, you know, you don't have no fear in this spot. Like, if this guy opens, you need to be shoving on him a bit wider because he's playing every hand kind of thing. Just basic stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, I was, yeah, I was really worried he was just going to blind himself out. But he doubled up just before the final table. And then when he got to the final table, he kind of just crushed the final table.
0: Because uh-huh. I
2: think everyone – was it was one of those situations where no one really wanted to be the first one out and he kind of just played every hand and re-raised every hand. Everyone, I guess, didn't have the nuts and kept folding and before I knew it, he was heads up and <laughs> won the whole thing which is just crazy. Like,
0: yeah. And at the time, yeah. that
2: was his... He's that's, that win for him was a much bigger life score than I'd ever
0: had. So he was able to needle me about that for a, a significant <laughs> period of time. And He's got to be, like in terms of ROI, that's got to be your most successful horse ever. Right? <laughs> well, the thing was, he didn't, well, we didn't really
2: agree like a sort of backing kind of thing. I was going to like say, oh, well, like as he got deeper in the tournament, I was going to mention something. But then it just felt a bit weird, like with 30 people left suddenly bringing money into the <laughs> Because I didn't like that and like put him off his game and just kind of spoil the whole thing I was like oh it's okay like whatever he'll he'll sort me out anyway if he does really well and then he wins the whole thing and he didn't even give me the buying back <laughs> so he was like you've had a good month online just let me keep this for the hat. like do him out of my house I was like oh okay uh,
1: yeah well, I guess it's one, thing, it's one thing to have like a. you have to have like a, some kind of arrangement when it, when you're backing somebody who's, who's just a friend or when you're backing somebody who's a, like a contract kind of deal but I suppose when you're backing your dad, it's a bit difficult to say, right, Dad? These are the terms of our agreement. You know, it's a bit difficult
2: to It was just a it was a birthday gift at the end of the day, so I wasn't expecting exactly. out it. So yeah, I wasn't. exactly,
1: you don't want to be like, I, I, I demand thirty percent of your birthday gift or whatever. Like, it's, it's <laughs> tough to say that, but um, but yeah, it's a pretty cool story. I, I, I did. Your dad keep on playing, or did he maintain his one for one record in life tournaments? Or uh, major he, life tournament? like,
2: from that, he got like invited to like a free roll kind of thing. And oh, okay, yeah, and he like played that and he cashed that. I think he got like twelfth in that. He played 1-1500 huh. at the World Series. Like a bunch, it was funny, a bunch of my friends all bought a piece. They were all really excited to get a piece, and he he didn't last too long in that one. He was he was he, <laughs> was, he, was, he was like I'm, I run so bad in live tournaments, and I, I had to shut him down on that one. <laughs> <laughs> he, he still plays quite a bit on iPOKER like that's is he doesn't really it's weird he hasn't he doesn't like poker stars but he loves iPOKER he's always just in everything on there sometimes he'll he'll play like and uh, he's I I think I shout scoped him recently and I think he had like fifty fifty percent ROI over like a big tournament sample so like he does yeah he does it right he's he's a bit unconventional the way he plays but he seems to get it done yeah he's done all right for
1: himself then that's that's
2: good I mean I guess he's got a good coach right so yeah.
1: He should,
2: yeah, uh, no, he should really you know, like father son, he, he won't listen to a word I say. Even if even though knows I'm well at poker, he's like, no, no, he thinks he knows better. So. Uh,
1: well, I guess uh, I guess you know, if, um, yeah, if he keeps on winning, then you know, he can do it his way as long as he wants, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, I guess uh, unless there's anything you else, anything else you want to bring up, Derek. I guess we can uh, probably wrap it up there since we're approaching the hour mark. Yeah, I
0: think that's a good spot to wrap it up. I did want to just remind people uh, to check out uh, Chris's book, Mormon's Book of Poker. You can find that on Amazon. Uh, I think there's also a link over at your website, uh, chrismormon.com. And um, if you want to keep up with Chris, uh, you know, poker and also at the Summer's World Series of Poker, follow him on Twitter at Mormon1. Anything else to plug, Chris? No, I think that's good. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great conversation. And thanks to everybody out there for listening, and uh, we'll be back very soon with another episode of Mid-Stakes Living.
3: Something in my liberty on oh my mind Happiness coming and going I watch you look up and watch my fever go and just where I am But how many corners do I have to turn how many times do I have to Steady naked smiling I feel no disgrace With who I am Happiness coming and going I watch you live and Watch my feet grow And I know just who I am and how many corners do I have to turn How many times do I turn i my people